Chapter Thirteen, Part Two of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lonnie Small. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Thirteen, Part Two. The vehicle had proceeded a little way into the crowd and was at this moment at a standstill by one of those inevitable impediments so frequent in a journey of this sort. The aged Ferrer presented himself now at one window of the carriage, now at another, with a countenance full of humility, affability, and benevolence, a countenance which he had always reserved perchance he should ever have an interview with Don Filippo IV. But he was compelled to display it also on this occasion. He talked, too but the noise and murmur of so many voices, and the long lives which were addressed to him, allowed only a few of his words to be heard. He therefore had recourse to gestures, now laying his fingers on his lips to receive a kiss, which his hands, on quickly extending them, distributed right and left, as an acknowledgment of thanks for these public demonstrations of kindness, now spreading them and waving them slowly outside the windows to beg a little room, now politely lowering them to request a moment's silence. When he had partly succeeded in obtaining it, the nearest to the carriage heard and repeated his words. Bread, abundance, I come to give you justice. A little room, if you please. Then, overcome, and as it were smothered with the buzzing of so many voices, and sight of so many crowded faces, and the consciousness of so many eyes fixed upon him, he drew back for a moment, puffed out his cheeks, sent forth a long-drawn breath and said to himself, Upon my life, what a crowd! Long live Ferrer! Don't be afraid. You are a worthy man. Bread! Bread! Yes, bread! Bread! replied Ferrer. Abundance, I promise you. And he laid his hand on his heart. A little room, added he, in his loudest voice, I am coming to take him to prison and give him just punishment, continuing in an undertone, if he is guilty. Then, bending forward toward the coachman, he said hastily, Go on, Pedro, if you can. The driver himself also smiled with gracious condescension on the multitudes, as if he were some great personage, and, with ineffable politeness, waved his whip slowly to the right and left, to beg his incommodious neighbors to restrain themselves and retire a little on either side. "'Be good enough, gentlemen,' he said at last, "'to make a little room, a very little, just enough to let us pass.' The most active and benevolent now exerted themselves to make the passage so courteously requested. Some before the horses made the people retire by civil words, by putting their hands on their breasts and by sundry gentle pushes. There, there, a little room, gentlemen. Others pursued the same plan at the sides of the carriage, so that it might proceed without crushing toes or infringing upon mustachios, for besides injury to others, these accidents would expose the reputation of Antonio Ferrer to great risk. After having stood a few moments admiring the behavior of the old man, who, though agitated by perplexity and overcome with fatigue, was yet animated with solicitude, and adorned, so to say, with the hope of rescuing a fellow-creature from mortal anguish. Renzo put aside every thought of going away, and resolved to lend a hand to Ferrer, 
and not to leave him until he had obtained his purpose. No sooner said than done, he joined with the rest in endeavouring to clear a passage, and certainly was not among the least efficient. A space was cleared. "'Now come forward,' said more than one to the coachman, retiring or going before to make room further on. "'Forward, quickly but carefully,' said his master, and the carriage moved on. Ferrer, in the midst of salutations which he lavished at random on the multitude, returned many particular acknowledgments with a smile, and marked notice, to those who he saw interesting themselves for him, and of these smiles more than one fell to Renzo's share, who indeed merited them, and rendered more assistance to the High Chancellor that day than the bravest of his secretaries could have done. The young mountaineer, delighted with these marks of distinction, also fancied he had made acquaintance with Antonio Ferrer. The carriage, once more on its way, continued to advance more or less slowly, and not without some further trifling delays. The distance to be traversed was not perhaps above a stone's throw, but with respect to the time it occupied, it might have appeared a little journey even to one who was not in such urgent haste as Ferrer. The crowds moved onward, before, behind, and on each side of the carriage, like the mighty billows around a vessel advancing through the midst of a storm. The noise was more shrill, more discordant, more stunning even than the whistling and howling of a storm itself. Ferrer, looking out first at one side and then the other, beckoning and making all sorts of gestures to the people, endeavored to catch something to which he might accommodate his replies. He tried as well as he could to hold a little dialogue with this crowd of friends, but it was a difficult task, the most difficult, perhaps, that he had yet met with during so many years of his high chancellorship. From time to time, however, a single word or occasionally some broken sentence repeated by a group in his passage made itself heard as the report of a large squib is heard above the continued crackling and whizzing of a display of fireworks. Now endeavoring to give a satisfactory answer to these cries, now loudly ejaculating the words that he knew would be most acceptable, or that some instant necessity seemed to require, he too continued to talk the whole way. Yes, gentlemen, bread, abundance. I will conduct him to prison. He shall be punished, if he is guilty. Yes, yes, I will command bread at low prices. So it is, I mean to say, the king, our master, would not wish such faithful subjects to suffer from hunger. Watch out! Take care we do not hurt you, gentlemen. Pedro, forward carefully. Plenty, plenty! A little room for pity's sake. Bread, bread, to prison, to prison. What? Then demanded he of one who had thrust half his body through the window to shout in his ear some advice or petition or applause or whatever it might be. But he, without having time to hear the what, was forcibly pulled back by one who saw him on the point of being run over by the wheels. With such speeches and replies, amongst incessant acclamations and some few grumbles of opposition, which were distinguishable here and there, but were quickly silenced, Ferrer at last reached the house, principally by the aid of these good auxiliaries. The rest, who, as we have before related, were already here with the same good intentions, had in the meanwhile labored to make and maintain a clear space. They begged, exhorted, threatened, and stamping, 
trampling and pacing up and down with that increased ardor and renewed strength which the near approach of a desired result usually excites, had succeeded in dividing the crowd into two, and then in repressing the two parties, so that when the carriage stopped before the door, there was left between it and the house a small empty space. Renzo, who by acting a little, both as scout and guide, had arrived with the carriage, managed to place himself in one of the two frontiers of worthy people, who served at once both as wings to the carriage and as a rampart to the too eager crowd of gazing bystanders, and helping to restrain one of these with his own powerful shoulders, he was also conveniently placed for seeing. Ferrer drew a long, deep breath on perceiving the small open space, and the door still shut. Shut, here, means not open, for as to the rest, the hinges were almost wrenched out of the pillars. The doorposts shivered to pieces, crushed, forced, and dissevered, and through a large hole in the door might be seen a piece of chain, twisted, bent, and almost broken in two, which, if we may say so, still held them together. Some kind-hearted person had placed himself at the opening to call to those within. Another ran to let down the steps of the carriage. The old man rose, put out his head, and laying his right hand on the arm of this worthy assistant, came out and stood on the top step. The crowd on each side stretched themselves up to see him. A thousand faces, a thousand beards pressed forward, and the general curiosity and attention produced a moment of silence. Ferrer, standing for that moment on the step, cast a glance around, saluted the people with a bow, as if from a rostrum, and laying his left hand on his heart, cried, Bread and justice! Then bold, upright, and in his robes, he descended amidst acclamations which rent the skies. Those within had, in the meanwhile, opened the door, or, to speak more correctly, had finished the work of wresting out the chain, together with the already more than half-loosened staples. They made an opening, to admit so ardently desired a guest, taking, however, great care to limit the aperture to a space that his person would occupy. "'Quick, quick,' said he, "'open it wide and let me in, and you, like brave fellows, keep back the people, don't let them follow me, for heaven's sake. Make ready a passage, for by and by. Eh, eh, gentlemen, one moment,' said he to those within. "'Softly with this door, let me pass. Oh, my ribs, take care of my ribs. Shut it now. No, eh, eh, my gown, my gown.' It would have remained caught in the door, if Ferrer had not dexterously withdrawn the train, which disappeared from the outside like the tail of a snake that slips into a hiding-place when pursued. The door, pushed to and closed as best it could be, was then propped up with bars within. Outside, those who constituted themselves Ferrer's bodyguard labored with shoulders, arms, and cries to keep the space clear, praying from the bottom of their hearts that he would be expeditious. "'Be quick! Be quick!' said he also as he stood within the portico to the servants who had gathered round him, and who, almost out of breath, were exclaiming, "'Blessings on you! Oh, your excellency! Oh, your excellency! Oh, your excellency!' "'Quick, quick!' repeated Ferrer. "'Where is this poor man?' The superintendent came downstairs, half dragged along and half carried by his servants, as white as a sheet. When he saw his kind helper, he once more breathed freely, his pulse again beat, a little life returned into his limbs, and a little color into his cheeks. 
he hastened toward Ferrer, saying, "'I am in the hands of God and your excellency. But how shall we get out of this house? It is surrounded by the mob, who desires my death.' "'Come with me, sir, and be of good courage. My carriage is outside. Quick, quick!' And taking his hand, he led him towards the door, doing his best to encourage him, but in his heart thinking, "'This will be the difficult part. God help us.' The door opened. Ferrer led the way, followed by his companion, who, creeping along, clung to the toga of his deliverer, like a little child to its mother's gown. Those who had kept the space clear now raised their hands and hats, so as to form a kind of net or cloud, to screen the superintendent from the perilous gaze of the populace, and allow him to get into the carriage, where he concealed himself by crouching in a corner. Ferrer then got in, and the door was shut. The people knew or guessed what had happened, and sent forth a confused shout of applauses and imprecations. It may seem that the most difficult and hazardous part of the journey still remained to be performed, but the public desire of letting the superintendent be carried to prison was sufficiently evident, and during the stay of the Chancellor in the house, many of those who had facilitated his arrival had so busied themselves in preparing and maintaining a passage through the midst of the crowd, that on its return the carriage could proceed at a quicker pace, and without further delays. As fast as it advanced, the two crowds, repelled on both sides, fell back and mingled again behind it. As soon as Ferrer had seated himself, he bent down, and advised the vicar to keep himself well concealed in the corner, and not show himself for heaven's sake. But there was no necessity for this warning. He, on the contrary, was obliged to display himself at the window to attract and engage the attention of the multitude, and through the whole course of this drive he was occupied, as before, in making, to his changeable audience, the most lengthened and most unconnected harangue that ever was uttered, only interrupting it occasionally with some Spanish word or two which he turned to whisper hastily in the ear of his squatting companion. "'Yes, gentlemen, bread and justice, to the castle, to prison, under my guard.' "'Thank you, thank you, a thousand thanks. "'No, no, he shall not escape.' "'And whispering to the vicar, "'It is just to coax them. "'It is too just. "'We will examine. "'We will see. "'I also wish you well, gentlemen. "'A severe punishment.' "'And again he whispered, "'I say this for your own good. "'A just tariff, a fair limit, "'and punishment to those who would starve you. "'Stand aside, I beg you. Yes, yes, I am an honest man, a friend of the people. He shall be punished, it is true. He is a rogue and a rascal. And whispering again, pardon me, sir. It will go ill with him, it will go ill with him, if he is guilty. Yes, yes, we will make the baker's plough straightforward. Long live the king, and the good Milanese, his most faithful subjects. It is bad.' very bad. Courage! We are almost out of danger. They had, in fact, traversed the thickest part of the crowd, and were now just on the point of issuing on to an open street. Here, Ferrer, as he began to give his lungs a little rest, met his tardy allies, those Spanish soldiers who, toward the end, had not been quite useless, since, supported and directed by some citizen, they had assisted to disperse a few of the mob in quiet and to keep open a passage for the final exit. On the arrival of the carriage they made way and presented arms to the High Chancellor, 
who returned the acknowledgment by a bow to the right and left, and to the officer who approached nearer to salute him he said, accompanying the words with a wave of his right hand, "'Your servant, sir,' which the officer took for what it really meant. "'You have given me fine assistance.' In reply he made another low bow and shrugged his shoulders. It would have been appropriate enough to add, Kedant ermatogi, but Ferrer was not at that moment in a humor for quotations, and had he been, his words would have been wasted on the winds, for the officer did not understand Latin. Pedro regained his ancient spirit in passing between these two files of puppets and these muskets so respectfully elevated. Having recovered from his consternation, he remembered who he was and whom he was driving, and shouting, "'Hey! Hey!' without the addition of other complimentary speeches to the mobs, now sufficiently reduced in number to allow of his venturing on such treatment, he whipped on his horses and took the road towards the castle. "'Get up! Get up! We're out of danger,' said Ferrer to the superintendent, who, reassured by the cessation of the cries, and by the rapid motion of the carriage, and by these words, uncovered and stretched himself, rose, and recovering himself a little, began to overwhelm his liberator with thanks. Ferrer, after having condoled with him on his perilous situation, and congratulated him on his safety, exclaimed, running the palm of his hand over his bald pate, "'What will His Excellency say of this, who is already beside himself for this cursed Casali that won't surrender?' What will the Count Duke say, who starts with fear if a leaf makes more noise than usual? What will the King, our master, say, who will be sure to hear something of a great tumult, and when will it be over? Ah, as to myself, I will meddle no more in the business, said the superintendent. I wash my hands of it. I resign my office into your excellency's hands, and will go and live in a cave or on a mountain like a hermit, far, far away from this inhuman rabble. You will do what is best for the service of his majesty, gravely replied the chancellor. His majesty does not desire my death, answered the superintendent. In a cave, in a cave, far from these people! What followed afterwards upon this proposal is not recorded by our author, who, after accompanying the poor man to the castle, makes no further mention of his proceedings. End of chapter 13, part 2